Hello and welcome to the New Formations podcast, Conversations on the Masculine Journey. I'm Charlie Vensel and I'm one of the co-founders of this men's ministry. This is episode five and we're taking a short break from the What's This For Ours Thing series to bring you a two-part interview with one of our favorite people, Pablo Giacopelli, live from Tel Aviv, Israel. Pablo is a professional tennis coach. He was selected to be the tennis team captain for Estonia in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. His pupils' successes have ranged from quarterfinal showings at Grand Slams to winning major WTA events to top 10 yearly race rankings. Pablo has traveled around the world and speaks four languages. He's been a guest speaker at various conferences and seminars around the world. He is the author of two books, Holding On Loosely and The Modern Fig Leaf. And we've led groups using his books, which also came with the privilege of having him Skype in to answer the questions for the participants. He's like family around here. Pablo has been a special friend to Tim and me since we were blessed to have him speak at one of our base camp bonfires a year or so ago. We know you'll enjoy hearing from our friend Pablo and his unique perspective on the journey of faith. So stick around and enjoy the show. Pablo, how you doing? Well, I'm doing really well. Uh, <laughs> it's good to hear. It's, it's good to hear you guys uh, again, even if it's through this uh, impersonal uh, means of communication. But yeah, nevertheless, nice to hear you. No, well, it's it's fantastic to hear you uh, hear your voice, especially in this day of uh, technology. Now that we can do this kind of stuff overseas, as far away as you are, it's it's great to have you with us. Um, rather than us run through a whole long list of all your of all your accomplishments I'd, I'd rather hear it from the horse's mouth can you kind of tell us uh give us give our listeners who don't know you a little rundown on on pablo and some of your past experience okay so um i was born in south america uh 47 years 48 years ago nearly um my uh my background is uh, very much into uh, tennis. I, I grew up as a, a tennis uh, prodigy. and never quite capitalized on the potential that I had for uh, various reasons. Uh, this led me to a, a coaching career where I did uh, reach the very top excellence of the sport. And um, I worked with some of the best female tennis players in the world. Uh, some of my highlights were uh, captain of a a team in the Olympics in Beijing, and uh, obviously have been coaching players in all the Grand Slams and things like that. Uh, you can tell that I struggle to talk about myself and introduce myself. You should have done this, really. Um, <laughs> well, we we want to we want to let everybody get to know you for who you are, and that's that's a lot of what yeah. we're about. Um, yeah. We we love you, and we want to hear from you a lot of stuff. But uh, but mainly, you know, the things that really inspire us as uh, Americans is to hear your wonderful accent and all the the traveling around the world that you've done. The um, so you were with yeah. the Olympics. What was the you were with the what team were you with and how were you how was that how did that come about? Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was with the Estonian uh, team because I was working with their number one player who was a, a very good player at the time and uh, it so happened that they they asked her who did she want to be the team captain and of course 
you know, you don't have to come from the country in the Olympics to be that. So they, she obviously put me forward, they accepted, and I, I came to do that. And uh, as wow, you said, you know, I, yeah. That must have been, so you've, I've seen some pictures where you posted when the Olympics came around, your memories of Beijing and being right up there at the top of all that must have been just an amazing experience. Mm, yeah, it was. Um, it was an unbelievable experience. I will never forget marching out into the opening ceremony of the Olympics in Beijing into that, you know, that bird nest stadium. Um, and somehow, I don't know how, but somehow you knew the whole world was watching you. And, uh, you know, just to go around the stadium. Yeah, well, that's right. But yeah, but you don't know that, do you? I mean, you are, you are mainly on, uh, on, uh, you know, on TV. So for me, it was great. You know, I got to very much, I've been around the world seven or eight times. So I guess my traveling has given me the ability to, uh, to first of all, realize I'm not the only person out in the world, that there are people different than me. And uh, there are various ways to look at life, not just the way I see it. And it's just helped me to adapt to people's cultural backgrounds, points of views, perspectives, mainly those that not necessarily share the same ones as me. And to be able to try and find a common ground with them um, and obviously, you know, uh, be, uh, be someone who is able to strike some sort of common ground with people to be able to begin to converse and, and establish, obviously build a bridge from my side at least. So, yeah, you know, they say that the world is like a book and if you don't travel, you only really read one page of it. So, you know, I've seen, I've seen many of the pages. I'm glad to say. Well, this, this has been a, an interesting chapter for you. Uh, you've been, so you've been in Israel for how long now? Um, so I started coming to Israel at the back end of 2008, uh, the very end. And uh, I, of course, was working. My last player that I worked with officially on the tennis tour was from here. Okay. Um, and uh, then in 2009, while she was injured, instead of going to the French Open, we came back here. And it was then that I met my now wife. Um, and then we got married a year and a half later. Um and I officially moved here to sort of 12, 2013. So I've been here nearly for four years now. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an experience. Um, you know, people think because it's Israel, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's, a, it's one revival after another. But the reality is it's a very dark, arid, dry, spiritual place. And, uh, you know, there we don't have the communities that you have in America. You certainly don't have the, the men to sit around a fire and, and smoke a cigar and, and share your heart. You know, you, you kind of have to explain your heart most of the time instead of just being able to express it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not only a geographical desert, but spiritually it's been very much a, a desert to be out here. Well, you've... Uh, it Every time I hear news from over that part of the world, I think about you. And, um, and every time I get somebody who asks them for a prayer request, I'll send them to you. <laughs> so they can say, well, we've got people all around the world that are, that are praying for us. And, and uh, we appreciate your support that way. And we, we want to be here for you. Um, yeah. How's things? How's the uh, attitude over there right now? How are um, the, the conflicts and stuff like that? Do they affect you? Well, Tel Aviv is a little bit like a bubble, you know, um, you kind of, you, you're in Israel, but you're not in Israel, if you know what I mean. And, um, 
you know, the, 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 the conflicts are really down south where the Gaza Strip is. And then obviously there is one that is developing very quickly up north, uh, just over the Golan Heights with with Syria and Lebanon, but it's not necessarily with the Syrian people or the Lebanese people. It's more with these two terrorist groups, you know, Hezbollah, uh, obviously Hamas in the Gaza Strip. And then, of course, Iran is desperately trying to set itself up in Syria to then have a direct, you know, go at Israel. But obviously, you know, we, we will not allow that to happen. And so far, we've been successful as that. So, but... I think it might require uh, a little bit more of a conflict to to clean that place up in the way that it would leave us not as vulnerable as we are now. So, you know, we hope it doesn't get to that because, of course, you know, the missiles that Iran has are a little bit bigger than the ones that the guys in the Gaza Strip have. So we pray that somehow it gets sorted in a different way. But it may it may eventually come to the place where we have to engage Iran. In Syria. Listening to you talk about that all the time gives us a, a, a different perspective than what we hear all the time on the news. And um, mm. Just know that we're oh, with our, you and we're praying for you guys all the time. And um, Yeah, thank you. Because, you know, our prime minister here said, Bibi Netanyahu said, if they hit Tel Aviv, we will hit Tehran. And uh, we, we had a plane, a couple of these F-35s that flew over unnoticed. Uh, this is hearsay, of course. We haven't confirmed this, but it's very likely that it happened. And they flew over the nuclear installations in Iran for about 10 minutes. And nobody knows, you know, no one picked up anything. No radar picked up the plane. No defense system picked up the plane. So it was a way of us telling them, you know, don't be too too smug about thinking that we can't get to you and, and do what we need to do like we did with Iraq and we did with Syria. So, Yeah. You know, it is what it is, eh? That's serious stuff, though. And um, like it I said, is. we really were there with you, and it's to hear your perspective on that type of stuff. So, um, so obviously, you have a different perspective on on Christianity a little bit from being where you're at. And um, tell us a little bit how you got uh, your story started, kind of for me listening to you, hearing you do another podcast about your Holding On Loosely book. Um, give us a little background on how you came to write that book and moved into a spiritual kind of coaching. Um, so when I finished working in the tennis tour back in the, at the end of 2010, um, obviously I went from traveling 38 weeks a year to suddenly being in one place longer than a week. And at first, it was a very, very tough transition and one that I, of course, wasn't able to handle as well as I would have liked because, you know, what do I do with myself? I mean, I remember after two weeks of being in Israel with my my wife, you know, living, she's going to work and I have nothing to do. I started looking for my suitcase because it's like I need to go and there was nowhere to go. So, um. I began to obviously, uh, you know, to pray and ask God, what, what, what did he want me to do next? And, you know, it was just one of those things that it came to me about writing a book. Uh, and at first I was very hesitant because all I had ever really written before that were just blog appearances in different tennis websites, you know, that are obviously very famous and people go to read about the news and whatever. 
And there's a very big difference between writing a blog and then writing a book. So um, I said to God, I said, God, if this is really you, then I am don't really want to do this. But then, you know, let let three people say to me that I need to write a book that don't know anything about this conversation you and I are having. And they, they don't haven't spoken to one another. And so my wife comes home uh, that day from work and my wife says to me, you know, you should try writing a book. So I'm like, you know, where, where did that come from? Funny how so, God does that. <laughs> yeah. And so she says to me, you know, she says to me, well, you know, I don't know. I just, it just came to me in the car. I said, well, that's funny. So, you know, I thought, okay, one down, let's see the other two. So <laughs> I get, I get on the phone, I get on the phone with a friend of mine in America and I'm talking to him and he says to me, Hey, Hey Pablo, I don't know why, but how about you write a book? So I'm like, dude, why do you go and say that? And he says, well, I don't know. It just came to me. It's like, you know, there's so much you could write about. I said, exactly. So what exactly would you think I, I should write about? So he says, well, I don't know. Let's talk about it if you decide to, to write it. And I said, okay. And then about a week later, another friend of mine in America who happens to be a, uh, a pilot for American Airlines, he said to me, well, you know, you could write a book. <laughs> so of course, you know, after, after three after three people saying that, and neither of them talking to each other, I began to kind of realize. So I remember I sat down and, you know, I, I had a friend of mine who uh, I used as a backboard, a soundboard, if you like. Uh, I wrote, he read, he gave me his feedback. Because I never written a book and I didn't know where to start, where to go. But I wrote, I wrote that book in three months. and um, And it became clear to me that you know, there could be an interest regarding the journey that I had obviously experienced away from the institution, away from a, a routine church attendance week um, out in the world of tennis, where I went from a religion that was based on my performance and my good deeds to really basically a, 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 a mysterious, you know, grace led uh, spiritual journey with God and uh, where I of course began to discover God for who he was really and not the one that I had made up in my mind which I could control and you know the one that blessed the people that I thought he should bless and only loved the ones that I thought he should love and and and, and really that transformation and the if you like the the different spaces that that took me through and the different you know uh, dimensions that I began to live in which of course I never even imagined they existed while I was engaged in a performance-driven religion, uh, which was basically mainly based on behavioral modification. So, you know, I I, I used to I used to I, I used to follow I used to worship and follow a guy called Jesus, um, that I believe he came to tell us how life finishes. And I think what happened to me on that airplane, and then from there on, is that I began. I stopped worshiping Jesus. I began to worship the Father. I started following Jesus. And I realized that the message that he had come to bring to us was not about how life finished, but how life begins. And that's when my life began. Yeah, so I, I know in the opening chapters of Holding On Loosely, you, you were talking about being on a flight on your way to a tournament with one of your athletes. And um, God kind of broke in and you started having conversations with him on a plane and over the next few days that kind of began to change everything for you. Can, can you flesh yeah. that out a little bit? 
Yeah, no pun intended, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I basically, you know, I at that stage had had enough of, of the religion that I was involved in. I had enough of the Bible. I had enough of the preachers. I had enough of the, you know, seven prayers to a successful week. I had enough of the lists. I had enough of counting and keeping tabs. I'd had enough of everything. So I went back to the cubicle in the back of the plane and I broke down. And I basically, in no, you know, in no uncertain terms, I told God to take a hike. Of course, I used, I didn't use that kind of language. I used much worse language. And my, my premise was, you know, at least when I was a sinner, I was having fun, whereas now I can't even have fun properly. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually more miserable today than I ever was when I put my hand up, you know, uh, all those years ago. And, you know, I, I had a, a, a monumental breakdown. And when I returned back to my seat, um, you know, after telling God to F off, basically, I felt loved and at peace for the first time in my life. And I couldn't work out how could that be? You know, I've just told God to F off. As far as I was concerned, my life was coming to an end. But the reality is when I thought that my life was coming to an end, I, I now see as I look back that my life was just beginning and that what was coming to an end was my quest to build this false identity to present to the world so that they would love me because I was too ashamed of, of the real one, if you like. Right. And none of us have any understanding about what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, absolutely. We all do. But you see, in the world that I was moving in, uh, you're only as good as your last result and uh, and you're only as good as your last appearance. And so you 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 really you really you know, so you really focus on building this 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 monument outside. Um, and that's, that was part of the problem that, you know, obviously we would need to cover other areas of my life for people to understand. But what I had basically done is I had taken the face of my father, who unfortunately I didn't have a great relationship with in the early years of my life, and I had placed it over the face of God. And so now I was no longer trying to make my father happy and get him to smile and love me through my performance. But I had shifted that over to God and what God began to do that day on that plane, he began to help me wipe off the face of my father from his face. Hmm. And that's a journey that even after over a decade, you know, I still have, you know, my brush and I'm still brushing parts of it off because of course it is something that takes time. It does. So having, um, the unique perspective of living over there, um, being in and out of church, uh, not on a regular basis, but then, you know, really seeking to hear from God. He, he, you get frustrated and he shows up. <laughs> and uh, that that's, that's a great picture. I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, honestly, brutal honesty. But uh, I think that's where God meets us a lot of times. Um, Tell us a little bit how you came to, so Psalm 46.10 was kind of the basis for the idea behind holding on loosely. You did, uh, run us through that a little bit. Well, um, you know, we were looking for a title for the book because, you know, the book centered very much about a, a young man that was obsessed with creating a future that would somehow redeem the past that he was ashamed of. 
And so he spent his life always on the next thing uh, and making sure that that next thing was brilliant so that it kind of like ease the pain and the suffering and the, you know, the, this, this just, you know, this incessant noise of pain that was going on within him, um, which was of course crowded with shame. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we, we knew that we knew that the title, um, had to do something with, you know, um, these two tensions, you know, the tension of control and the tension of resignation, and that there would have to be some sort of release in order to find like a pendulum, the the balance in the middle, if you like, between these two, where you still know you have the desire to control, uh, or you have the, you know, the need to resign yourself and feel sorry for yourself, which somehow life doesn't work the way that people tell you that it's supposed to. But and but yet you remain in this in this middle in this place of surrender. So, so they had were, to be. So you were feeling the the pressure to perform, and then swing back to guilt and swing back between the two. Well, yeah, I think you know in life, I think what happened for me is you know I I, I swung always from control to resignation, and with once I recovered in the in the ditch of resignation, I got over to the ditch of control. And, um, basically whilst you go from one to the other, you go through this middle space, even if it's for a little bit and we all feel it where you feel very calm, very rest, very, you know, you feel totally at peace. And that's, that's the play, you know, that's the road of surrender where you take a step forward because God shows you that step and not because it necessarily means that it's going to deliver the result that you think you should get from taking that step. So you no longer sold everything of worth in your life in the moment to try and get a result because you no longer see results as your responsibility. You see results as God's responsibility. Your responsibility is to remain present mm. with God in the moment, to fellowship with him and to respond to whatever comes your way accordingly. And so, you know, we knew that. that and so well, talking to this friend of mine, Vern, you know, holding on loosely I really like the sound of that. You know, we came up with this, you know, the song from uh, 38 Special. And um, and so... I, I, I always like, wondered if there was a relationship there. <laughs> well, yeah, yes and, yes and no. Uh, at the beginning, I had no idea about that song. And it wasn't until I decided on the title that someone sent me the song. That's great. Which I was like, wow, if we ever have a movie, there's a song. So uh, that's, that's great. Uh, <laughs> And so, um, and so basically, um, I was like still a bit troubled cause I was still very religious back then. And so I was, I was like, you know, there has to be somewhere in the Bible where this, this word appeared, but you know, I mean, how do you fit holding on loosely into a Bible? You know, it's like, I mean, we're talking an American, you know, word from an American culture, you know, where in the, where, where in the heck are you going to find that in a, you know, Middle Eastern, you know, Jewish, Hebrew, Aramaic speaking people, you know, trying to communicate their experience of God. And, and we went out and, um, you know, we were, we were, we were talking with my wife. Um, and I said, you know, my wife loves the Psalms. And I says to my wife, you know, she says to me, what's your favorite Psalm? And I said to her, you know, there is, there is this verse that I love, which is 4610, which actually in the Hebrew Bible is 4611. 
And I said to her, and she says, what, is it, what does it say? I says, I says, be still and know that I am God. Mm. And she says to me, wow, I wonder what that, how that reads in, in Hebrew. So she takes her Hebrew Bible out on, you know, her, on her app, and she reads it. And she says to me, what was, the, what was the title that you and Vern are talking about? And I said to her, oh, yeah, holding on loosely. So she says, so would that mean that you hold on to something, but you don't squeeze the life out of it, but at the same time, you don't also just completely let it go. You kind of like just hold it loosely. And I say, yeah, something like that. So she says, do you know what that, that verse, that, you know, to be still, would you know what that, that means in Hebrew? And I says, uh, no, it says to relax your grip. Wow. And I said to her, what do you mean? How, how do you get to that from be still? He says, well, I don't know how you guys got to that in English, but what it says here in Hebrew, it says it means to relax your grip. So, you know, that's what God is saying to David is saying, stop trying to control. And if you read the Psalm before, that's what God is basically saying to him, you know, stop trying to control everything. And he says, you know, just relax, you know, relax your grip. Let, you know, let, let go so that I can show you that I'm God. And, you know, that was an amazing moment. I mean, could you imagine? So I'm like, I mean, short of getting up on the table and dancing, you know, I was, I, I was just, I was really touched because you have to understand that I've, I have a father, but I've never had a dad. And, um, you know, there's a lot of fathers in the world, but there's not many dads and, and God is my dad. And, and that was, that was the touch of a dad. That was not the touch of a father. That was the touch of my Abba, you know, Abba in Hebrew means dad. So that's and, that's uh, a unique way that you that you refer to God throughout the book, and for for English ears, it's sometimes uncomfortable for us. But but yeah, go into that. Tell us how you you've come to well, call Father you know, Dad because 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 God, you know, God is God is my dad, you know, and and He is my father too, but you know, He 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 has redeemed that part of my life, you know where I didn't have a dad, he has become that to me. Uh, just like I didn't have my, you know, I left home when I was 12 years old. So I grew up on my own. I didn't have a mom or a dad. Uh, and so God is being my dad, but also at the same time, he's also been my mom, you know, sometimes. And so, uh, and so in him, I find, you know, a father is someone who gives you life. A dad is someone who goes to the park and plays with you. And, you know, there's a lot of fathers that give, you know, we all have a father, clearly. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. But not many of us have had the dad that goes to the park with you and plays and also smiles at you when you maybe are not performing in the way that he would want you to. And, you know, even when you lose, he still shows you off to his friends and shows that he's proud of you. And he doesn't just do that when you win so that he looks good. That's, so a dad, is, a, a, dad is, a dad is happy to go to the darkest, dirtiest, most, you know, uh, places in your life where you're, you know, you are, you feel like the biggest loser. And he's able to show you there how much and how well he still loves you in spite of your condition. That's, that's a very intimate description and in, in- to say dad in, in the English, you know, you say you have your father, but when you say dad, so in, in Hebrew, it's Abba? Well, Abba means both father and dad. But if my, if my, my girls call me Abba, 
Mm. They're not called. They're not saying father. They're right. saying dad. And so they call me Abba. So the way that it reads in the New Testament, Abba, Father, that's the context of that Abba is dad. So it's like, you know, it's for us, it's daddy. You know, the very intimate uh, picture there is not just this this figure off in the distance. It's 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 the dad we know. It's the guy well, around perfect, the house. Yeah, the, and I yeah, and I think sometimes you know. It, it doesn't sound very masculine to call someone daddy, you know, um, mm-hmm. there is that that there is the misunderstanding of what a real man is. Mm-hmm. And so a real man will only use the word father because, you know, it just depends what part of you you approach your walk with God. Is it is it mind led where your ego is or is it heart led? Because in your mind, a warrior is more attractive than a tender lover. Whereas in my heart, a tender lover is far more attractive than a warrior. And so, you see, it just depends where you do life from. The Bible says life begins in the heart, not the mind. So um, I, I use my ego and my mind to try and relate with God up until that airplane experience. And the thing about the mind, the mind is a great thing that we have, but it was never designed to relate or understand God. The heart, on the other hand, was. And... You know, uh, that sort of scripture in Aramaic, the scripture that says, you know, um, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Aramaic, when you read it, the feeling that you get that that is trying to tell you is stop using your mind to do what your heart was designed to do. Let's, and that's let's, kind uh, of like, let's put a, a, yeah. a finger in it right there. We're, we're, uh, we're running toward the end of one podcast for us, but we'd love to have you come back and talk to us about the heart. Yeah. Friends, thank you for listening to the New Formations podcast, Conversations on the Masculine Journey. Find out more about us on social media and check out our website at newformations.com. It's the word new, the number four, then the letters R-M-A-T-I-O-N-S dot com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast, write a review, and share it with others. Lastly, we have all of Pablo's information in the show notes for this podcast. We hope you'll check them out. Tune in next time for part two with Pablo Giacopelli. Until then, goodbye.